Jesus uh, was with his disciples um, just outside of Caesarea Philippi, and he turns to them and he asks this question, who do people say that I am? He's asking them, who do people say that I am? And they answer him with the word on the street. They say, well, some people say you're John the baptizer, and um, some people say you're Elijah, who was a prophet from old that had just come back to, to continue his ministry. And so then Jesus asks them a little more intense question. Remember last week we talked about how Jesus is always upping the ante a little bit. And he says to them, okay, who do you say that I am? Who do you say? And Simon Peter is the first to respond. And he immediately answers and he says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And just as quickly, Jesus responds back, blessed are you, Simon, son of Judah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And that brings us to Matthew 16, 18, where it says, And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Every time we gather together with our other believers to worship, every time we gather together, every time other churches in this city and in this nation gather together, we are a present-day fulfillment of Jesus's words 2,000 years ago. We, in fact, this gathering today is a prophetic word fulfilled. Because in that moment, Jesus says to Peter that on this rock I will build my church and nothing will ever stop it. Even the gates of hell, that nothing will ever stop it. And in fact, this is the first time that the word church shows up in the New Testament altogether. And it is actually a Greek term. The Greek term for church is ekklesia. Try to say that. Just try to say it. All right, that's good. Um, if you didn't do it well, you can elbow the person next to you. <laughs> now, this isn't a, a religious term. In fact, that, that word in that culture um, is referred to when uh, citizens would gather for civic purposes. So it was kind of like maybe the word meeting. Like, like that was just when people gathered for a specific purpose. It never referred to a specific place or a specific gathering. So the ecclesia didn't have an address. It didn't have 8150 Oliver Road. It was a group of people. It was a gathering. They could meet anywhere, all around, but they were the ecclesia. They were the church. It, they didn't own property. It wasn't a place. And so in church history, in 313 A.D., uh, Constantine was the ruler, and he legalized Christianity in the Roman Empire. In fact, more specifically, he legalized freedom of religion. He said, you can be anything you want to be. We're no longer going to mandate and persecute you for being a Christian. You can be whatever religion you want to be. And for the first 300 years after uh, God, Jesus came and, and released his church, the ecclesia existed under really intense persecution. Um, gathering was difficult and dangerous. They had to do it often privately and secretly because they weren't actually allowed to do it. But when Constantine legalized Christianity, things started to change for the early believers. Uh, in fact, Constantine actually eventually declared himself as a Christian, which changed it completely because all of a sudden it was fashionable to be a follower of Christ. The believers didn't have to hide out anymore. They could openly wear their Christian t-shirt <laughs> to the mall, you know? They, they were able to, to be open about their belief in Jesus. But what happened was the Roman elite began to use their money and to use their influence to, to take some of the early believers' traditions to a whole new level. And, and they began erecting buildings, um, dedicating them to worship and saying, okay, uh, this is where we will be the ecclesia right here in this building. And then they built another one and we'll, we'll do it right, right here. Which probably appeared like a good thing because there's a place for people to gather. It gave them, you know, a home, somewhere to be. But what began to happen is within a decade, the church was no longer expanding the way it had started. When people all of a sudden realized that they had a place to stay in, they stopped expanding, and it had become a location. And the Romans actually called these places basilicas. And an ecclesia started as a purposeful gathering of people, and in this century it had become a location. 
You can lock the doors of a church, but you can't lock up the ecclesia. And so what happened is the mindset began to shift that this is where we go to be a Christian, but once we walk out of there, we don't do it anymore. A little bit familiar to us at times. A, a little bit of a culture that, that we're trying to get rid of even here now. But that's not how the early church began. And so the church no longer was this grassroots movement built upon a simple understanding of grace and growth. It became synonymous with a location, and it was limited by walls and by property lines. And this created this whole new culture because whoever controlled the church building controlled the church. And worse yet, in the fourth century, whoever controlled the church building controlled the scripture. And by the Middle Ages in Europe, the Bible was literally chained to the pulpit. And the scriptures were encased and stopped and limited into a building instead of into the people. And this led to an era of church history that was full of cruelty and hypocrisy that I believe we're still digging ourselves out of today. Things that people still assume Christians are that we aren't. From that century, it is passed down. Now, the church survived the first, uh, the, the persecution era of the first century, and the church survived the corruption of the centuries that followed, and people that wanted control and, and, and began to manipulate things. The church survived because Jesus said it would. Because Jesus said in Matthew 16 that even the gates of Hades would not overcome it. That we are a prophecy fulfilled. And so uh, you may know a little bit more of the story. In the 1400s, um, Christian scholars fled to Europe with manuscripts of the scripture. And they said, there's got to be more than this. This whole chained up, locked down. This is not how God wanted it. I know it. I've read the scripture myself. This church thing is a, is a, is a, a living organism. It's a movement, not a meeting. There has to be something more. And so they, they took the scripture, some of them even uh, sacrificing their own life. And the reformers began to get God's work back in the hands of God's people. And they translated it into languages that people could understand and the Protestant Reformation breathed new life into a tightly controlled institution called the church. And the gospel, I believe, was unchained from the pulpit and made accessible to every man and every woman. And that is where a lot of our churches have been birthed, out of that moment. And the meetings became movements again. The meetings became movements again. And the church took the message outside of the walls and beyond the borders. And, and we could see in church history that explosive, unexplainable growth and expansion happened because the ecclesia began again to look like the early church. We got so far from the example and from the model, but they began to look again like the early church. And I think if we're not careful to continue to study the early church, we can get far from it too. Maybe it's different reasons. Maybe it's in our culture we have different temptations um, I think one of the temptations that we have is to just watch church online because that's so accessible to us. But that's not what we see in the scriptures. We see that they gathered together every chance that they had, that, that they, were, they were continued to meet together. But you know what? I'm not afraid of church online, and I think it's a good thing uh, often in different settings but, because the church will always go on. God, God's church will always go on. Nothing will snuff out God's church. That is what he says in the scripture, and we know that the scripture is true and right, and all of God's words will come to pass. Do you agree with me on that one? All right. So we're just going to read in Acts 2 uh, where the early church is described, and uh, let me read this to you, verses 42 through 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. And they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved." Trends go away. Empires rise and fall. Culture shifts and turns. But the only endeavor that will last forever is God's church. 
And God's church will echo through all of eternity. In fact, the things we're doing now are changing all of eternity. It is the thing. If you want to be part of something that will outlast you, that that will outlive you, something that's bigger than you, you will find that in God's church. Now, we are far from perfect, but God is far from done. We are far from perfect, but God is far from done. And so in these next few weeks, in these, this month, we're going to talk about what God's church should look like, and we're going to base it on that scripture passage in Acts 2. And in fact, today, uh, I'm going to preach a little shorter because I want to end with a response time that will allow us to, I really believe, be God's church, for all of us to, to um, just contribute and be part of this movement that God's church is. But before we do that, I want to unpack the scripture a little bit more. So I believe in an evaluation of anything, you can look at the minimum requirements of something, or you can look at the maximum. You can do the minimum amount that's required or the maximum. It's like you do the extra homework bonus or just the part that's going to get you the grade, right? And so in this case, I believe both are important. We need to know what the minimum requirements of a church are and what the maximum potential of a church can be. And I believe we need to know the minimum requirements because we could find ourselves in a setting, in a community, that maybe is even classified as a church, but it's not what God wants or sees a church as. And so we need to make sure that, that, that just a building or a location isn't a church. We just learned that, right? So we need to make sure that we are reaching or the churches that we're attending at least have the minimum requirements of a church. And the question of maximum is important because we don't want to be average. I don't want to be average. We don't, we don't want to be mediocre. We, we want to individually and corporately be all that God wants us to be. We want the maximum amount of community possible. And so uh, in the scripture, I believe that we see the minimum requirements of a church of community to be these things. Uh, The people must give evidence that they're believers and that they trust Jesus only as Lord and Savior. They must participate in baptism. You'll see pictures of our baptism services on the walls out here today. Uh, There must be regular assembling. Hebrews 10.25 says, do not neglect meeting together. Um, Among these meetings, there must be gatherings for worship and for prayer. The word of God must be central, and they celebrate the Lord's Supper together. That is the minimum church. The scripture says if you're going to call yourself ecclesia, those are the things that at least you have to do. It doesn't say you have to have a school supply drive, even though we do that. It doesn't say you you have to have um, cool setups, even though we do that. The minimum requirement is that these are the things that a church needs to do. We don't want to stay minimum. We don't want to end up like the church in other centuries that is limited and confined to a building, just a place where we go instead of who we are. And so what makes a maximum community? What, what things define a church that isn't just status quo? And, and how do we stop being a meeting and be a movement? I'll be honest with you. I ask myself that question every day of the week. How do we stop being a meeting and be a movement? What are the things we're doing that are just things because we've done them? They're just meeting things. And what are the things that God wants us to take and champion the cause for? And in this passage we read in Acts 2, I really believe that the heartbeat of the biblical church beats strong in that. And through kind of woven in between all the verses, and and like I said, in the coming weeks we're going to unpack every part of that, but I believe that it requires grace and growth. Grace and growth. Okay, so say that to the person next to you. Grace and growth. That's the point of the message. If that's all you remember, grace and growth. And as you can see in Acts 2, when the church got good at receiving grace and administering grace, the church grew. When the church got good at meeting the needs of each other, when the church got good at being devoted to teaching, when the church got good at fellowship and breaking bread with each other and taking care of each other and learning God's word and centering around it, the church grew. In verse 47, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So if we can get good at grace and growth internally, deeper, God will do something, maximum community in our lives. And I believe we're on the way to doing that. We're always a work in progress. We're always moving toward that. The early church experienced new levels of grace and growth, specifically often 
through operating in spiritual gifts. And I want to read to you uh, 1 Corinthians 12. It comes from verses 4 through 11. It's a little long, so follow along. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Don't, don't lose that part. For the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And still another, the interpretation of tongues. All of these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. In verse 7, I pointed this out for you, but I want to camp here for a second. It says the manifestation of the Spirit is given for what? The common good. That word common comes straight out of the root word community. Community. And so what this is saying is that, and I get a little amped about it, (laughs) but that this verse is saying that the Spirit was given, all of these gifts were given, not so we could look spiritual and awesome, and, and not so that we could have like this very, very deep, hyper-spiritual, left saith the Lord moment. But, but these gifts were given so that it would benefit the community. And for the good of the community. For the good of the church. So if we are not using them, we are not giving maximum community that we could have. That God gave them to us to build up the community. That was his intention. Which also shows me that God loves the community, that God loves the church and God loves each individual in the church because he has provided a way to build up for the common good into the community. And so um, I love in 1 Corinthians 14, we won't read that all today, but in the future we will, Paul is giving instructions on how to use the gifts in community in an orderly way. And what striked me this week when I was studying this is that Paul does not present an option where there's no gifts being used. He gives instruction based on the expectancy that spiritual gifts will operate every time the community gets together. He doesn't say, and when no one has anything to bring, do this. Because the, new, the, the early church, everyone was bringing a hymn and a song of praise and a word. And, and that was what was happening. That was for the common good of the church. Things were building in. And so he gives this example of how to be orderly in the fact that there will be gifts. There will be things that I give to my church and you need to know how to use them. But I believe that we will maximize our community by being a laboratory for the Holy Spirit of sorts. By by being a place where everyone is learning how to hear God's voice and how to communicate it for the common good. Now there are ways to communicate it. There are things we can learn. It isn't just a a free-for-all, but there are moments where God is sharing with you in your seat something that could benefit the community for the common good. And he wants us to be able to share that with each other. And we need to have lots of grace and treat each other with honor and respect and create a safe place so that if you're here for the very first time or this has been your home for 40 years, that you can share with this community when God shares something with you. And I believe that we will learn from each other as you watch people in this place that have maybe operated in those gifts a little longer than you, then when God lays something on your heart, you'll know how to do it as well. It's, it's like the ultimate, ultimate teachable moment, the ultimate um, laboratory where, where we are watching others and then we are operating ourselves. And to maximize our community, we must build our structure, this is the really important thing, around the hunger and expectation of the Spirit of God to move. Because often, lack of breakthrough is a result of low expectation. Lack of breakthrough is the result of low expectation. I think it's as simple as when you wake up in the morning and you say to yourself, it's Monday and it's going to be a bad day. It's going to be a bad day. (laughs) 
No matter what happens, you could win the lottery and you have determined it's going to be a bad day. So if you come to the community, whether it's here on Sunday or in your small group or in your uh, Celebrate Recovery or wherever you're going to in the community of God and you do not have expectation or hunger, that is going to frame what's going to happen there. And the, the, the early church said every time they came together, they planned to deal with the gifts for the common good. In Acts 2, the people came hungry. And I don't just mean for breakfast, all right? They came, that was funny. Come on, give that one to me. All right. They came hungry. They came expecting. So let's be that kind of community. That every Sunday, it isn't just this humdrum, you're laying in bed wrestling whether you should go. What songs are we going to sing? Am I not like it? Hmm. She, she's never funny, but she makes us laugh at her. You know, let's not have, have those moments, but come hungry because I'll tell you what, I can't promise the songs are going to be what you like or even what I'm saying is going to be, you know, exciting or, or, or funny, but the very word of God is in this place and that is our lifeline. I can promise the presence of God will be here. And here's the thing that makes church, the ecclesia, it's you. It's you coming together as a movement and saying for the common good, we're going to work together and we're going to be released from here and we're going to do some serious damage for the kingdom of God out there and then we're going to come back and we're going to assemble again and then we're going to go out. That is the picture of the early church. And that is where I believe that if we get so far from it, then it is kind of boring. Then it is kind of insufficient. Then it is sort of, well, maybe we shouldn't go this week. You know, the Steelers are playing early. We can't miss it. But... (laughs) Yeah, okay. Uh, (laughs) But this is our lifeline. Now, we can't just work up the Holy Spirit gifts by creating an emotional frenzy. We don't want to manufacture the gifts. We we don't want to say, we will have this many words every week and we will do this, because that's not right either. But the truth is, God's Spirit is real. God's Spirit is active. All of us are on our own personal journey of growth. And I believe that as you and I resist the temptation to just be complacent, to just rule ourselves out, to just say, well, that's, you know, Lucy hears from God that way, but I don't. When we begin to say those things, we rule ourselves out, we limit God. We need to use what we have and press in for the increase. Because the scripture says he gives as he determines as he determines, not as the pastor determines, not as the, you know, even you determine. <laughs> as he determines, he gives. And I believe there are new levels of grace just waiting to release on you if you, if you just assume a new level of risk. The key to start flowing in the gifts of the Holy Spirit is just to ask. This really struck me this week. The gifts are not rewards. The gifts are not rewards. They are not earned by our merits. So you may have said, there's no way God's going to use me today because I know all week how I screwed up. And that is wrong thinking. Because it actually has nothing to do with rewarding you or giving you credit. It's all about God giving to those who ask. It's a greater measure of the grace. It's, it's just a greater measure. When I was um, worshiping down this morning, I got this like picture in my mind of a pop can that you just, you shake up, you shake up, and it's just ready to pop. And when you ask God, when you ask the Holy Spirit, God, in just a minute, we're going to ask him to release his gifts for the common good. And you put, it's like the, the thing pops up and the whole thing blows up. And that he's just shaken up the can and he's shaken us up. And, and when we ask, it's not because we were really good that week or, or we deserve it or, or, or we're spiritual, you know, we're more spiritual than someone else. It's simply a new level of grace. Remember, you are not asking, if it be your will, can I please move in the gifts of the Spirit? 1 Corinthians 12 says, it is his will that you ask him, and it is his desire to give you the gifts. So simply, you're just asking, God, give me my Christmas present early. (laughs) I want what you have for me today. And this is what we ask every time we're in community. 
Wednesday nights, Sunday mornings, in your small group, when you invite somebody over for dinner and it's just you and them, and that's community because you have the common strand of, of Jesus and your relationship, and you say, God, is, just give us all you got tonight because we want to operate in every way. You know, God is always communicating. I mentioned a moment ago, um, I, I got like a picture in my head of a pop can. It doesn't seem very spiritual. It was Coke, though, not Pepsi, just so you know. But... Um, <laughs> Sometimes God has these moments where he communicates all different ways. Let me give you some examples in case this is sort of new to you. You can see a picture in your mind that then has spiritual significance. So the picture maybe is of a very normal thing, but God says, but this is what I'm telling you. This is like your heart, you know, or this is like uh, this church, or this is like your family. He gives you that spiritual significance. We can have dreams at night when we're sleeping and sometimes they are not spiritual. Every dream you have is not. Sometimes it's because you ate bad pizza before you went to bed. But some dreams have the spiritual component in them. And you can wake up and God can say to you, you know what, this is what your dream is. Or you can ask a friend and they can help you say, yeah, that, I think that means this. We could have messages of wisdom or knowledge. And those are things where God might say to you, there's someone in this room who has a broken heart and needs healing. And if God tells you that, then that gives the community an opportunity to pray for healing for that person. But if you never say that, and God dropped it in your heart, then we can't pray for the community in a better way. Does that make sense? That's a message of wisdom and knowledge. Um, God might have a specific prompting to pray for a miracle or pray for healing. God might give you a prophetic word, which is something that is redemptive. It brings encouragement. It brings insight into what's next in our church or in our city. That's what a prophetic word is. It, it brings encouragement and an exhortation to us. God may illuminate a scripture to you. Some of you, excuse me, during worship, I'll see you pick up a Bible and go, you're trying to find it. And it's some scripture that God has put in your mind that he says this right here, this is what everybody needs to hear today. It's this one. And, and he illuminates his word, which his word is always the safest place to go. Because everything we think and everything that he gives us will always align to this. If it's outside of this parameter, it isn't from God. I can guarantee you that. And so that is always a safe place to go. The word of God says this, and that's what God's been telling me. And here you go, church. Here we are. And that is how we operate. He might give you a song in your heart, a spontaneous song that you are just singing to the Lord, and you might want to share it with the community. God might give you a heavenly language that is only known to God, that you feel prompted to share. And, and I, I, oftentimes that, that unction, that thing that's inside of you when, the, when you have a tongue to share, a heavenly language, I don't know, to me it almost feels like heartburn. <laughs> it's something inside of you that you are wrestling with because you don't know where to put it. Because if it doesn't come out, you don't know what you're going to do. It's sort of that feeling. And sometimes God will give us that. And it is, it is, you have to get it out because it's brought to you by the Holy Spirit himself. And it's not for you to swallow and ignore. It's for you to share. And the scripture says when this happens, uh, that the same Holy Spirit gives someone an interpretation of that tongue. Sometimes that person is the same person who has the, the tongue, but it will tell that it means uh, that the person will then kind of tell everyone what in a, uh, it means in the language that they can understand, and it will build up the community for the common good. It will build us up. It will build us up for the common good. Now, let me tell you this. There's no fear in the Holy Spirit. There's no fear in the Holy Spirit. Only perfect love. And so it might be different than what you're used to, and you might feel a little bit funny. Maybe this, this whole like tongues and interpretation, prophecy and all that stuff, that just sounds a little bit, I don't know. You're trying to sneak out the door before I see you. <laughs> but let me tell you what. This is what I do when I'm in those moments. I say to God, who I trust and is my father, is this you? Is this, is this real? Are you trying to speak to me? And 100% of the time, when it is the perfect peace of God, just says, yeah, that's just your flesh freaking out a little bit. It's just a little bit funny sometimes, but yeah, that's me. Hear what I'm saying. Maybe if you're a little bit uncomfortable, it's because God is trying to shift you out a little bit so he can tell you something. Maybe God is trying to get you in a position and a posture that you need to hear something different from him, and you're used to always hearing him one way, and when you hear him a different way, it's going to dislodge something in your life. 
I want to assure you that for these next couple weeks, as we kind of practice this, that it will always be under control, that the Holy Spirit isn't a God that spins things out of control, that, that the Holy Spirit is not chaotic. The Holy Spirit brings peace and order and safety. And, and that, that is what our design will be. That, that's what we want it to look like because God says, I bring the gifts for the common good. The common good. Not, not to make us nervous, not to feel chaotic, not to be, you know, you know all kind of not sure what's going on. It, it is safety, it is peace, and it's the Holy Spirit. That doesn't mean it's not going to convict you. But that, the responsibility of the church is to help you be responsible for your relationship with God. And so you deal with that conviction the way God wants you to. We don't need to ever be hyper-spiritual. If you feel like you have something to share, you don't have to end it with, thus saith the Lord, for it to count. You, see, that wasn't even supposed to be funny, and you laughed. I, can't, I don't get you guys at all. Um, it doesn't have to be in a loud, booming voice. In fact, one of the most, um, actually, I, I've never shared this with, with her, but Carly, who sang this morning, one of the most prophetic moments I've ever had in my life was at a worship night when she got up and just as, as soft-tempered as she is, just said, this is what I really feel like God's saying, and, and here's an example of it. And I, I was laid flat for weeks about what she said. And it wasn't somebody yelling at me or, or, or all emotional. It was just, here's what it is. Here's what it is. This is what God said, and here's what it is. And here is what my heart is going to respond. So here's what we're going to do. The worship team's going to come up. And um, I just want to uh, give you a couple, like, house instructions here. Um, I really love this. I heard it once, actually, when I was having lunch with Deb Newber. And um, when you are prompted to share, and I have been praying, and the staff has been praying for weeks, that many of you will feel prompted to share today. That many of you would. Use the ABCs, all right? A, be audible. So that just very technically means hold the microphone up to your mouth. <laughs> speak loudly. Speak clearly. If you got something to say and you're going to get all the way up these steps to say it, then say it. <laughs> you know, make sure that you are audibly saying out loud. Be brief. Be brief. Get right to the point. Don't apologize. Don't explain all the details around the situation. My grandma's dog's sister said this once to me, and then I walked over there. Nope, just... Just brief, just God saying that we really need to know that, 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 you know, if we shake up the can and we pop the top, that he's going to explode. That's it. Be brief. Say only what God wants you to say, and that's all. And be Christ-centered. So all of this is for Jesus. All of this should honor Jesus. All of this should point to Jesus. So be audible, be brief, and be Christ-centered, ABC. So here's what we're going to do. Would you stand at least to start? You can sit in a few minutes if, you, if that's how, what you want to do. But we're going to be a laboratory for the Holy Spirit just for the next 20 minutes or so. And uh, we're going to worship. And while we do that, we're going to go through one song. I want to ask you if you feel that you have something to share. That you have something in your heart that uh, maybe through worship, we're going to pray in a minute, uh, for the common good of the church. If you feel that you do, I want you to come up and the pastors are standing down here um, and there's paper and there's pencils there so you can write down your thoughts if you're going to feel scattered once you get up here or maybe you don't even want to say it in the microphone but you have a word and you're going to write it down and maybe that will be uh, how it works. We're gonna, it's kind of new territory so we're, we're slopping through it but maybe you'll write something down and one of the pastors will come up and bring it and I'll share it with you and um, the pastors are really going to help with bringing order and um, they're going to send you up here if you want to come up in a, a non-chaotic way. And we're going to wait in expectation and hunger for God to speak to us. And I want to do all this because I want to be more than a meeting. I want to be like Acts 2. I want to I be a movement. And I believe so much that Church only works if you show up, and not just physically. 
Church only works if you show up emotionally and mentally and you show up to, to push in and take risks and push outside your comfort zone and ask God for his gifts and build up the common good. I could preach circles, but it doesn't work. Acts 2 says the church is not a pastor standing up saying something good. The, the church is ecclesia. It can't be locked up. It, it, can't be, it can't be have walls around it. It can't be confined by property. It goes out and it meets people's needs and it helps people's broken hearts and it changes lives. And the scripture says they're full of awe because there were miracles and signs and wonders that just happened. Do we believe that God can do that today? That he still does that today? And so we're going to get there. We're going to get in that moment. Okay, so let me pray. Put your hands out like this if you feel comfortable and let me pray. And then we're going to sing this song. And if you feel like you have something you want to share, come down front. Holy Spirit, we ask you to release and impart your gifts in our lives. It is by grace that we have been saved and it is by grace that we receive your gifts. We don't earn them. We don't work for them. We don't deserve them. We are not more spiritual than someone else if we have them. But you are a good father and you give good gifts to your sons and daughters. And so Father, we ask you to release these good gifts in us and through us. Help us to be more effective ambassadors of your kingdom and representatives of Jesus as we use these gifts. And it is in your name we pray, amen.
saw this mini picture uh, of a mountain, and Jesus had a chisel and was hammering it. And I've been holding this vision for about a month for the right time and to get clarity. And so what he was showing me is many of us have barriers of uh, against the love of God. We're, we've been wounded. We've been hurt. Uh, transition causes us to, to hide and put walls and barriers up. And he wants to remove those barriers so that you can receive the love of God, the love of God through the staff, the love of God through community. So if you want to receive the love of God and ask God to take the barriers down, do something, whether it's one hand up or stepping or sitting or however, we're going to pray and ask God to break those barriers down. So, Father God, we come before you in the name of Jesus. We ask that this mountain that's causing our not being able to receive your love, whether it's wounds or our words spoken over us or judgment or our own self-protection and walls, we come against that and we submit that to you, Jesus. We ask that you remove those barriers and that your love will come down in us. It's been set abroad in our heart, but Father, we want to be a community, a safe haven that when people walk into this church, they'll feel the love of God and that we can set the captives free and expand your kingdom in Jesus' name. Praise God. When you were a little kid, did you ever play the game Red Rover, Red Rover? Let so-and-so come over. I kind of see us as the ecclesia. We're standing here. We're holding hands. We have a line for Jesus Christ. And as Erie First Assembly of God, Erie Assembly of God, in Erie, Pennsylvania, I want to call the gifts of the Spirit over. We call over prophecy. We call over interpretation. We call over tongues. We call over healings. We call over miracles. We call over deliverances, salvation. We call them in. We call them in. In the ecclesia, we're standing strong. We're holding hands. We call them in. And as a fruit of the Spirit, we call in then, as a result, love, joy, peace, gentleness, kindness, long-suffering, love. We call it in from Erie First Assembly of God in Erie, Pennsylvania. Church, I want to bring something to reality that miracles do happen. I feel like the Lord is saying to me, call it for what it is. I don't want to embarrass my daughter. Please forgive me. But if you, if anyone here doesn't know, my daughter was in an awful, horrific car accident. And if you would see the car, you would never believe that somebody could crawl out of this thing and that a nurse would come by that would visit her in the hospital that was a nurse from Hammett that knew not to move her neck. Without going into tons of details, I, I just want to bring it to reality and call it for what it is. I talked about miracles to other people. It's a miracle. God still does them today. It can happen, but I've never seen one. I've never experienced one. So I want to put a face with miracle today. My daughter's a walking miracle with bones broken throughout her body. She's not on one pain medicine. She's here today. Miracles still happen, and God wants you to know. Call it for what it is. It's happening today. Don't say things are chance. They're not coincidence. God is performing miracles today. Let's just give God praise. Even as musically, can we just give God praise for a second? Let's just thank God. Thank God for what he did there. Just a miracle. Let's sing that chorus one time, and then we'll come back to these books. We will not be shaken. We will not be 
that just have been holding, holding on to you for a while. Um, and the Lord spoke to me and said, I want you to get up and share an old spiritual. And the title of the spiritual is Wade in the Water. And Wade in the Water, I mean, it, it goes back to the time of slavery when, you know, the blacks were looking to be free. We're looking to be free from sin. And even as Christians, we struggle. Think about wading the water as baptism. When we went into that baptism and came out, let the old man die, the new man came. Today is the day of salvation. And I wanna sing this and I want you to close your eyes and listen. And then if this is you, and you want to be free, reach out to these pastors. Make sure that you say something to someone in leadership or authority that can then connect with you around this. So I want you to close your eyes because I don't want you to be looking at me. Wait in the water. rest of you guys, but then if um, there's any more, why don't you save it for next week? All right, so Dr. Hogue, do you want to come up? That's pretty tough to follow, but only by the word of God. <clears throat> so I was walking out to my car, running a little late, and God said, where's your Bible? Because I was always taught that he might want me to share something. <clears throat> so from Romans 8, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for all of us, how shall he, how, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, 
For your sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities or powers, no things present or things to come, nor height nor depth or any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Hi, my name is Barb Torrance. We are up from Sarasota, Florida. We are probably going to go through the worst day of our entire lives. And I want to tell you something. I received the gifts of the, the Holy Spirit back in 2008. And every time I have a problem, I go to my Bible. And I started speaking in tongues at the beginning of the week. And I said, dear Lord, do we stay or do we go? And our precious Lord said to me, get out, honey. Just like a good father says to a daughter, get out, honey. Always believe what Pastor Nicole was teaching you about the Holy Spirit. If you call on the Holy Spirit and you accept the Holy Spirit into you, the Holy Spirit will talk to you. He will lead you all the days of your life. Amen. It always amazes me to see how God's hand is in every moment of our life. Yeah. I had some quiet alone time last night and I went to my treadmill and God met me there. <laughs> Praise the Lord for sure. And uh, I was very convicted and what he showed me last night, it just feels like it completely connects to what we're doing today. So this is what God showed me. And please know that this is what he showed me in my life, but it's for all of us. So God said, it's time to repent. And it's, um, I'm a teacher here at the school, and last week, Pastor John talked about our memory verse, or our school's verse for the year, and it was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul with all your mind and all your strength. And I have fallen short of that. We all, the ecclesia, has fallen short of that. So Lord, forgive us for not putting you first. And then right after that, he says, we're supposed to love others just like we love him and like he loved us first. And I have fallen short of that. So has the ecclesia. We've fallen short. So Lord, forgive us for not loving others. And at times, I have not been open to the gifts that he has for me. I felt like I have not deserved them. Like I was unworthy, and it's wrong. Because he died on the cross so that I could have these gifts, so that we can have these gifts. So Lord, forgive us for being stubborn and prideful, for not being open to what you have for us. So Lord, forgive me, forgive the church for that but praise the Lord God is good and he can revive us so Lord I just pray that you would revive me let revival start in me but let it start here in your church Lord revive the church first so that we can represent who you are so Lord draw us closer to you Lord open our hearts and our mind to your goodness Lord, help us to receive all your gifts that you have for us. And Lord, give us the courage and the boldness to use these gifts that you have for us. Amen. Do you not know that I know where you are? Do you not think that I know what you need? I have placed you in this time and season. I could have placed you anywhere else. I could have put you in any country, any family, any time. But I have chosen you 
to be here at this time, in this season. I have placed within you all the gifts and abilities that you have need of to fulfill the destiny that I placed you in, that only you can achieve in this time and season. Your choice is to trust me. Do you trust me to fulfill the promises and my word that I have given you? I am fully capable of fulfilling that which I have told you and have instructed you. My grace and mercy swirls around you and my eye is ever upon you. That, that was a prophetic word. So she felt like God put in her heart those things to say. And that's why it almost seemed like, uh, like she had practiced it before. Because it was God specifically saying, these are the words you're going to say. And that was what was coming out of Carol, is that specific word for us, for the common good. All right, Dan. So about three weeks ago, I was having a bad day. And I said to God, can you give me another new name? And I think his answer is something that we all need to hear. He said, you don't need another new name. The name I've given you is perfect. You just need to stop going back to your old name. <laughs> Thank you. I received that. Thank you. Thanks for sharing. All right, Elise. So sometimes when I'm spending time with the Lord, he'll give me a word, and um, he had me write this one down. Now oh, I don't forget. But. So this is prophetic, but it's written to all of us. For a long time, I've been calling to you, my beloved, and your back has been turned, but you thought, why would he call out to me? Who am I? But my beloved, you are my beautiful, beloved bride, and I live in you by my spirit, and I woo you to myself. Do not be afraid to turn around to me and look at me. My eyes are on you. My eyes are on you, my beloved, and I delight in your heart. Present it to me. I will handle it most gently, for I love you, my bride, and you are mine. I love you. Do not be afraid any longer. So God gave to many of you, and maybe even to others who didn't get to share today, gifts for the common good, and we are better for it because maybe something they said was specific to you. I want you to pray through what you heard this week and look for the miracles, like Linda said, and, and go back to, go to the, your new name. Don't say in your old name and all of those things that God preached through these people. So here's what we're going to do. If you need to slip out, we understand. Make sure you look at those pictures on the walls. We'll see you at five o'clock tonight to eat chili. The band's going to sing through one more time, just we will not be shaken. If you have a minute and you want to just celebrate with the community, I want to invite you down here to sing that last song. But if you need to go, have a great week. We're really glad you came. Be asking for God to give you more to share because we'll be doing this particular format all month. So have a great week. <laughs>